The views and opinions expressed on the 10-8 podcast are those of the authors and guests individually. They do not necessarily reflect an official policy or position. The 10-8 podcast is for entertainment purposes only and is not affiliated with any entity, agency, or department. My name is Officer Y, and welcome to the 10-8 Podcast. This is episode 37. I'm 37? Murder Yoga with Jiu-Jitsu 5-0. What's going on, everybody? Today's episode is going to be great. You're going to love it. It's all about training. It's all about Jiu-Jitsu and why you should do it as law enforcement, and I cannot wait to get started. But before we get started, I kind of want to hone in on something, something that I've kind of talked about before and something that I'm going to talk about again, so you better get used to it. And that's making sure that cops have the training they need. That's what we're going to be talking about as far as like the physical aspect today and jujitsu. But I also want to talk about your smarts, right? Because everyone knows that you've had that FTO, that field training officer that, you know, was kind of not good. He was doing it for the paycheck or the pay bump that they got and they really shortchanged you. And that hurts everything that hurts the guys as they continue their career that hurts the community they serve and it's just not acceptable but luckily there are places like street cop training that provide cops with the amazing training that they need to effectively serve their community street cop has about 25 instructors out right now in the field doing courses for people that want to better their career. I myself have taken about three or four of them with more coming down the line. And they really just have topics ranging from anything you could possibly want. You want report writing, you want drug identification, you want uh, first aid, uh, stress. Guys, they have everything. It's amazing and it's what you guys need. The place, the company is blowing up. In like positive ways, not like, oh my god, everyone get out of the building. <laughs> but you guys really need to check it out. They've got an LEO only Facebook where you know you can talk with cops around the country and talk about tactics and different trends and things like that. They also have the Instagram, but the Facebook kind of gives more of a community aspect. It's great. I've posted on my uh, my Instagram a bunch of times different things that they have posted because it is truly in, just such a valuable source of information. You guys need to check it out. And of course, coming up in October 2021, they've got the Street Cop Conference in Atlantic City, New Jersey, and it's going to have so many amazing keynote speakers that you're not going to want to miss. All their like their keynote instructors plus 
people like Tommy Laren and Tim Kennedy. Uh, it's just, it's great, and you guys want to check it out. So, again, this episode is a lot about training, and I need to make sure you guys know that Street Cop is out there for you. Go to streetcop.com, and they will blow your mind. And let them know that the 108 podcast or the 108 memes page uh, sent you, just so that way they know where, you know, all the goodness is coming from. Because a lot of people that I spoke to, a lot of the people like out west, didn't even know what Street Cop was until I started talking about it. And so I'm sure that goes for the East Coast as well. Dennis Benino, changing the game of policing all for the better. So that was the first thing I wanted to talk about. Of course, got to gotta make sure that you guys know that good training is out there. And, um, you know, that's kind of, like I said, the trend of the episode. But the other thing that I really wanted to talk about this week before we kind of get into the thick of it, which is the trend on Instagram right now, and it keeps making me giggle. Um, into the thick of it. What? Into the thick of it. Yeah. Into the thick of it. Ugh. I want to talk about finding your why. Now, uh, I've kind of said a couple episodes now that I've been really kind of leaning on Simon Sinek, and this portion is going to be very much his his material, and I'm going to try to interpret it and provide it to you guys, and I'm actually going to cite a couple of his videos. Um, I've been watching his videos for like two months straight now, just watching and enjoying. He's just a smart guy, and he puts it in relatable terms. So what I'm going to start, guys, is I'm going to start with showing you or having you guys listen to a bit of one of his TED Talks. Again, this is Simon Sinek. Call your friends you love. Um, the ones who you know that if you called them at three o'clock in the morning, they would answer the phone. And if they called you at three o'clock in the morning, you would be there for them. Do not do this with family. Do not do this with siblings. Do not do this with your spouse. It doesn't work. Those relationships are too close. Do it with the friends you love and ask them the simple question. Why are we friends? And they're going to look at you like you're crazy because the part of the brain that controls feelings and behavior doesn't control language. In other words, it's hard to put into words. Ironically, you stop asking the question why, because the question why is an emotional question and it elicits emotional responses. Like you ask your kids, why are you home late? Shut up, dad. But if you say, what were you doing that you're home late? They'll answer the question, right? So you, you, after your friends say, I don't, why are you asking me this? You switch to what questions? Come on, what is it about me? What specifically is it about me that I know that you would be there for me no matter what? And they're gonna hem and haw and it's gonna be very difficult for them and they're gonna struggle. Don't help them, don't let anybody else help them. You have to let them go through the uncomfortable process and you have to play devil's advocate. So they'll say things like, I don't know. You're funny, you're smart, I can rely on you. And you say, good, that's the definition of a friend. You have that with all your friends. What specifically is it about me that I know you would be there for me no matter what? And they're gonna go through this process of, and you're gonna say, good, that's the definition of a close friend. What, you're gonna keep, keep at them. And eventually, they'll give up. Eventually, they'll give up and they'll stop describing you and they'll start describing themselves. And this is what my friend said to me. They said, I don't know, Simon. All I know is that I can just sit in a room with you. I don't even have to talk to you and I feel inspired. And I got goosebumps. In fact, I'm getting them right now, right? So what they did is they articulated my value in their lives and I had an emotional response. So you'll get to the point where they'll say something that you will either get goosebumps or you're well up with tears or something will happen. You will have an emotional response. That's the part of the brain, the limbic brain that controls those emotions. You won't get the exact words of your why, but you will get in the ballpark. And my friends, what you'll find is if you do it with multiple friends, you'll get very similar, if not the exact same answer, 
because the value you have in their lives is the same. It's you. So that's a fun way to find your why. So really think about it. Why do you wake up and go to work every day? Right? You obviously made a decision at some point in your life that I want to put myself in the position to serve my community. I want to put others' needs before my own. Um, I want to go to family disturbances that are not my own. I want to solve people's problems or I want to provide solutions. You won't solve them, but you'll provide temporary solutions or whatever. We get asked this question when we get hired, why do you want to do this? And you know, the cheese response is, I want to save the world. I want to make my community a better place. Do you though? Is that really why? Is that why you're still doing it? Because I'll tell you what, a few years in this job and you realize, well, my community ain't getting any better. Community may be a little safer, but it's not a single-handed job. Uh, so why are you doing this? Why did you make this decision? And you really need to think about it. And, you know, I was talking to somebody about it over the past week. And they were like, oh, well, you know, they gave me their reason. You start wondering if your why can change. And what Simon will say is that your why doesn't change. Your why is your own personal belief system. And it tra it'll transpose careers, lifestyle choices, and everything. That's the whole point of the why. And basically, there's a difference between having a vision and having a why. And this next clip is about that. So it'll tie things together. So why comes from the past. Remember, it's an origin story. It's where we come from. And to discover your why, you look backwards in your life. We look for patterns across our life when things were naturally going extremely well. We look for patterns. We can identify that pattern. That is our why. It's the thing that we give to the world. It comes from the past. It is the foundation of who we are. Vision is where we're going. It's about the future. It's about imagination. It's not based on something objective. Vision is entirely subjective. Your why is objective. You have one that never changes for your whole life. Your vision is subjective. You can pick any vision you want. It's the world you're trying to build. Preferably, it's good to stick to one vision. Tweak it every now and then because otherwise you're all over the place. Um, but you can, have more than, you can only have one why and everybody has one. You can have multiple visions. You can have one for your family, one for your company, you can have one for your community. You can have multiple visions, you can apply them differently. Um, so I like to talk about vision as a just cause, mainly because there's no standard definition of vision and so many organizations and individuals say, my vision is to be a millionaire, my vision is to, I mean, that's not a vision, that's just a goal. Um, that's why I call it a just cause. So for me, vision is about just cause, a cause so just that we would willingly sacrifice in order to help advance this cause. Um, so think of it like a house. A why is the foundation of the house. Once you build a foundation, it's there, it's solid, it's what gives the organization or, or, our, or our lives structure, um, but you don't change the foundation, that's it. Now you can have a vision of the house you wanna build, of the life you wanna lead, of the company you wanna build, and you build on the foundation. So there's basic structure that's gonna remain the same, but you can change the shutters, you can add floors, you can expand, you can, expand, you can redecorate. So vision is where the house is going, why is where the house is coming from, where it's built upon. So I can't tell you what your why is. I can't. Uh, nobody can. You, only you can. And I think it's important as we see all these different people and things impacting our profession and, and people are leaving, you really need to decide what your why is. And we've talked about this before. I know when, when I had Ali on and different people that have left the job, you know, you, we've talked about this. We've talked about why you're still doing it, why you're not still doing it, things like that. And there's different ways that you can impact society. That's fine. But 
I believe that there are so many people that still love this job. They still want to do it, and that's why they still do it. You know, it, it doesn't matter. And what it really comes down to is having leadership and bosses that make you want to go to work because you're feeling fulfilled. You're feeling like you are contributing. And I'm going to put in one last clip of Simon before we get into the interview today. And I really hope you guys are getting the value out of this. Um, in a few weeks, we are going to be having the big leadership council um, with a whole bunch of friends of mine that I've met through the podcast and through the Instagram, different leaders through, around the country in law enforcement. And we're going to talk so much stuff about this, and we're going to hone in on this stuff exactly. But anyway, here's the last little bit um, from a, a, a talk that uh, Simon had, and then we're going to uh, go into the uh, the meat and potatoes of today's interview. But check this out. This is kind of you know it's supposed to inspire you. And think about it this way. My sergeant said this to me one time. He's like, you have reached the point in your career where you look at people becoming sergeant and going, oh, I could do better than him. I could do better than her. And that's when you know that you have started really building a good career. You know, you're starting to think like a leader. And, you know, I've, I have some time in specialized units. And, you know, once you start seeing the job from different perspectives, you start going, oh, well, this is why this is messed up. This is why this is messed up. And I've had the opportunity. I mean, I've taken it upon myself to to look at these business leaders. You know, Simon, when he talks, he's talking about business. He's talking, but you can apply it to so many different things. Same with uh, Gary V and, and Sean Whalen. And, and uh, you know, they're talking, they may be talking about business, but you can take that and, t- and internalize it and be like, yourself is a business, you know, your, your profit or your, your, you know, your take home is whatever you get out of life. So it's a great way to think about it, and uh, I don't know. It's a nice perspective to have. But anyway, take this uh, last little bit. He's going to talk about leadership, but take it and talk about – think about it as like being your own leader, you know, being being your own boss or whatever, and how you can make this job work for you. And if you are a boss, if you're a sergeant or above or a corporal, I, I don't know. I've never worked for a corporal, but think about it. Think about your people and think about how you're treating them morale sucks right now guys you know like the law enforcement profession right now is like done you know like everyone's saying the job's dead i don't think so but that's the overwhelming majority thought is like you know there's no point in doing this we're gonna you know we're we're working to get in trouble you know we need to work you know i i I talked to somebody like a month or two ago i was like you know what what are you guys doing to uh, fix your morale. Like, you know, what are you doing to keep your guys here? And they said, this is a rare conversation. They said, no, actually the only people that leave are the ones that get themselves fired. We have no problem keeping people. I wasn't in the position to ask this follow-up question going why, but that was a good sign to me. But if you see other agencies around the country and, and states around the country losing people at, and, you know, leaving the job or leaving their state or their, their department, why? Why are we doing this? So we need to look inside. And I've said this. It's been a trend for past several episodes. We do this to ourselves as cops, as law enforcement professionals. We do this to ourselves. We are hurting ourselves and we're hurting the profession by kicking out and and um, ostracizing good people, good candidates, and they don't want to do this job. Why? Why are we doing this? We do this to ourselves. So anyway, the last little bit from Simon, and then we're going to talk to Jason. Here we go. To be a leader requires one thing and one thing only, followers. That's it. It has nothing to do, nothing to do with rank or title. It has to do with whether 
others are going to choose, the volunteer, raise their hands and volunteer to go in the direction that you set. We can force people to do things. We can whip them into shape or offer them all kinds of carrots and sticks to get them to do things. But at the end of the day, a true leader is the one where others raise their hand and, says, and say, I will follow you. The question is, why should anyone follow you? Now, the human animal is like a company. If we want to get certain behaviors out of the organization, out of people, we give them certain incentives or disincentives. We are exactly the same. If you want someone to perform, if you want them to hit a goal, we set the target, we set the goal, and we offer them some sort of bonus if they get there, and we incentivize the behavior. If we threaten someone with a punishment, we disincentivize the behavior. Wait till your father comes home. You know, anyone who's a parent with gold stars or bonuses or all kinds of things, we're, we're used to this. This is normal. The human body works exactly the same way. If you've ever had a feeling of love, trust, joy, fulfillment, status, pride, those are all chemically produced feelings. They're chemically produced incentives trying to get us, the human body's trying to get us to do certain things to get us to cooperate. Tangible matters. We can only, we can only see the things we have words for, right? And this is why the leader must provide a clear vision why are we doing this? Why are we in business in the first place? What is the point of growing the company that you're growing? Everybody talks about, what's your go growth? What, what's the point of the growth? In other words, you have a company. Why do you have that company? What is the value your company is offering to others? And, and what, what do you want your company to leave behind when you're gone? There has to be a purpose for why your company exists beyond the things you make, beyond the things you do, beyond the money you make. You had the purpose when you founded the company, otherwise you wouldn't have taken the crazy risk to start it with the overwhelming chance of failure. And people wouldn't have given you blood, sweat and tears if they didn't believe in you because you were the alpha, you had the vision, you had the strength and they wanted your protection. And they joined you and they gave you their blood, sweat and tears because you gave them a sense of purpose and belonging and protection. You have to know why you do what you do, and this is what the leaders do. And the more they can put it into words, the clearer they can put it into the words, the more we can see it. Again, we can only see the things we have words for. And so when you can put these things into words, other people can see them. I have a dream. Martin Luther King put into words the vision seeing he had. The rest of us could see it too, and now could focus all of our attention, all of our efforts on getting it done. We don't care if we let down the goal. Like if we have a goal that we have to ch achieve for work and we miss the goal, do we feel bad that we let the numbers down? No. We feel bad that we let somebody we love down. We feel bad that we let down our boss, we let down our parents, we let down our coach, we let down our drill instructor. We feel bad when we let down a human being. Accountability is never to a number. Accountability is to a person. And if there is no relationship, with the person who's supposed to look after us and the person we're supposed to be working for, then we don't feel accountable. And this is where leadership becomes really, really important. You see, when we give selflessly to those in our tribe, offering them protection, because that's all anybody wants at work. They want to feel safe, comfortable, protected. Think about it. What do we say to our children? You don't get to choose your children. Some of them are funny looking. Some of them not that smart, okay? Those are the kids you got, sorry. You get to pick your employees, but you don't get to pick your children, and yet it doesn't matter who your kids are, whether they're the best looking or not, whether they're the smartest or not, whether they're the strongest or not, you give them undying love. 
And you don't point out their weaknesses if you're a good parent. You point out their strengths if you're a good parent. You encourage them to do the things that they're good at. And you hold them up and sometimes you let them fail and learn for themselves and sometimes you discipline them and sometimes you prop them up and sometimes you push them and sometimes you let them go. And more than anything else, all we want for our children is to achieve more than we could have achieved. And we will do that by providing them support, a feeling of safety, a feeling of protection. Well, guess what? It ain't no different at work. Stop saying our company is like a family. It is a family. And you are the mother and you are the father. And the minute you hire someone, you must give them undying love and you must work tirelessly to see that they can achieve more than you could ever have imagined yourself achieving. Those are the best leaders. As human beings, we are biologically designed to cooperate and we want to help each other. When you give someone the responsibility, when you put them in a position of power or authority for their responsibility, they rise up. Why? Because we all want to feel that our lives have value. We all want to feel that our lives and the work that we do is valuable to the tribe. We all want to know that our company needs us. But we don't make people feel needed, needed and we don't make their work feel necessary because we take all the responsibility and we don't let them have it. And when people feel fulfilled, when we make them feel necessary and they feel proud because something got done, because they were a part of it, they will give more and more and more and more. Devote yourself not to firing people, but to give them an opportunity to contribute. And if they fail, help them up. And if they fail, help them up. And if they fail, help them up. And if you really think they're incompetent and you really don't believe they fit your culture, why did you hire them? Because of their resumes or because they belong? We should treat hiring like adopting a child. We don't adopt children by saying, well, I'd like a blonde-haired, blue-eyed kid, yay high, and I want to make sure that they've done well in preschool before I take them. Well, that's how we hire people. I'm looking for somebody with experience in our industry with at least five years with this kind of, oh, you meet it, we'll take you. No, that's not what we do. When we adopt a child, we're going to give them the keys to our house and let them run around by themselves, maybe even give them responsibility over our other children. It's a slow decision. We want to get to know the kid. We want to spend a little time with the kid, see if they would fit in our family, if our other kids would get along with them. Hiring is exactly the same. You cannot judge the quality of a company by the good times. We cannot judge the quality of a crew when the, when the seas are calm. We judge the quality of a crew when the seas are rough. Time and energy, roam the halls. Implement policies where if you have something to say somebody, not just the exchange of information, if you want to pay someone a compliment, if you want to ask somebody a question about their work, not about some fact like what time's the meeting, you do not send emails. You stand up, you walk the 35 feet, and you walk into their office and say, hey, quick question for you. That thing that you did for the client, can you just tell me a little more about it because I have a client meeting. I promise you the relationships that will, will form simply because people are giving time and energy. It's too quick to send an email, it's too easy. If you come over, if I come over to your house for dinner and uh, a day later I send you this beautiful email how grateful I am for the dinner that you made for me, or if I sent you a handwritten note with the exact same words, which one makes you feel better? handwritten note. It's not the words. It's not the intention. It's the time and energy we take. And if you think you're too busy to give time and energy to your people, then they're too busy to give time and energy to you. It is a balanced equation. I imagine a world in which the vast majority of people wake up every single morning, inspired to go to work, and come home every single day fulfilled by the work that they do. 
I believe that loving our jobs is a right and not a privilege. Why should it be just the lucky few who get to love going to work? It is an entitlement that we all have. And by saying love our jobs, it doesn't mean we have to like them every day. We love our children every day, we don't like them every day. Right? We don't have to like every day, it can be hard, but we get to love it every day. And the thing that makes us love our jobs is not the work that we're doing. It's the way we feel when we go there. We feel safe, we feel protected, we feel that someone wants us to achieve more and is giving us the opportunity to prove to themselves and to ourselves that we can. This is the world that I imagine. This is why I do these talks. Because I'm just a cog in the wheel, a cog in the machine. I'm just a small piece of the jigsaw puzzle. I come to, the, to speak to the, the, the nice people like yourselves because you're the ones who are running companies. You're the ones who are in control of the cultures that you're building. You're the ones who determine who you hire and who you don't. Are you hiring based on skills? You're hiring based on culture. I come and share these ideas with you with the hope that some of you will try some of these things and over the course of time, you will watch your own cultures improve and the people love coming to work. Oh, and by the way, it's good for innovation, it's good for progress, and it's good for profit, aside. That's it, guys. That's really what I want to hammer in. That's what I want to get, make you guys think about is how we can be better, why we're doing this job, and why we continue to do this job despite all the negativity around us. I know this part, this intro part was a little longer than it usually is, um, but I really wanted to give you guys a nice kind of summary of Simon and uh, his mis- his vision, his mission, and his why. Um, but anyway, we're going to switch gears. We're going to talk back about, more about training. And, uh, you know, actually, in my conversation with Jason, I talk about Simon again with a different one of his theories. But I'll let that happen there. And I'll talk to you guys on the other side of the interview. Check it out. Here's my interview with Jason from Jiu-Jitsu 5 So yeah, I was uh, looking up these at these old calls, um, screenshots of call texts that I found to be funny, and there was a, there was a bunch of them in there. Um, but one that stood out was this dude called. This was a couple years ago. Um, he called nine one one, obviously, because uh, I think the call of the text indicated something like his. Uh, it said when he he has sex with his girlfriend, he can't feel anything. And that his dick is numb. (laughs) (laughs) And that's a direct quote uh, from the call text. And so I felt the need to at least call this guy to see what was going on. I obviously wasn't going to show up at his house to deal with this. Right. But yeah, he proceeded to tell me all about, uh, he was very serious. He's like, yeah, man, you know, when I, when I, we're trying to have a baby, I'm trying to get her pregnant. And when I go to have sex with her, I can't feel anything. And I just, I don't know what to do. I'm like, well, what would you like the police to do about it? And right. Specifically, right. what would you like me to do about it? 
And he didn't really have a good answer for that. Uh, but that one brought a lot of joy to my face. I, I bet. That's crazy. Um, it, people yeah. will call the police for absolutely any reason. Oh, my God. Yeah, it never ends. Like, literally anything you could think of, um, as you know, like, people will call 911 for it. For absolutely any reason. And it's it's funny because in the same breath, they're the same people that say, oh, we don't need that many cops. Okay. Then who right. else are you going to call when, you know, you get the wrong number of chicken nuggets? Like, <laughs> exactly. You know, we've kind of, we've been, we've kind of transformed, I guess, from being, you know, the law enforcement to the, just the catch all, whatever people need, we're here for it. And it, yep. it's crazy. A hundred percent. Yeah. The chicken nuggets <laughs> thing is interesting. Cause I, uh, I've been to that call too, where somebody called because the uh, McDonald's worker threw French fries at her and she uh-huh. felt that the French fries burned her skin. Um, and so I had to respond to that. That's, those are always fun. Yeah. Yeah. I've, uh, I've had the, I've, have I actually done this or is it just a story? I don't know. Someone told me in my agency that they had to arrest somebody because it was a domestic, the lady threw a chicken nugget at her husband and at him. <laughs> and we have a like, zero tolerance for any domestic violence if we can arrest somebody for domestic violence we will so the yeah. lady got arrested for throwing the chicken nugget and it was like it's just that's hilarious crazy so death by a chicken nugget is uh yeah the way to go you know what else i found is like that shit doesn't happen at chick-fil-a i think that's no. like a, that's a mcdonald's thing that's a mcdonald's thing definitely a burger king thing burger king uh popeyes we have a popeyes in our city uh, we've yeah, had a lot yeah. of problems at popeyes um yeah, I feel like I we don't usually have those problems at uh, at Chick Fil A. I don't know. At Chick Fil A, your Chipotle's, like you know, certain different yeah. restaurants bring out different behaviors. I guess I don't know. Well, you know, they always. Oh, go ahead, go ahead. No, I was thinking like you know, McDonald's have been designed so that way you don't spend a lot of time in there. Well, they're kind of redesigning them now, but you know, they want it to be uncomfortable. They want it to be almost hostile. So maybe that's like what's uh, what's provoking all these people that could be well and the chick-fil-a nuggets are i I, and you might disagree with this chick-fil-a nuggets are superior to mcdonald's nuggets and they're a little bit more expensive so maybe you're a little bit more hesitant to like throw one of those at your spouse um just due to those facts i don't know right yeah i was surprised long time ago when i was doing keto uh and i went to chick-fil-a because i you know in the middle of the night or not middle of the night, but middle of the shift, you got to be like, you know, what fast food can I grab? That's keto. And they were like, Oh, grilled nuggets from Chick-fil-A. So I went there and it was literally just chopped up chicken breast. I was like, this is amazing. But they're like, they're really good though. That's like, I don't know what they're. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, What did you think about keto? So when I first did it, um, I was a hundred percent for it. I, um, you know, I, I did everything that you're supposed to do and I lost a lot of weight. And then, you know, I did like a cheat day or whatever and everything came back. Not everything, but I had a lot back and then I kind of fell off the wagon. And then when I tried to do it again, I could never get it to be as a hundred percent disciplined every time I went, I was always like, Oh, I can, I can go with this or whatever. Um, I've done, so I did that. I did intermittent fasting. Same thing. When I first did intermittent fasting, I was a hundred percent to it. And then when I broke, then I couldn't get back with it. I gained everything back and then some. So now uh, I just work with a nutritionist and I lose weight the right way. Yeah. Yeah. It, yeah. Sometimes I feel like that's what it's all about is just like 
trying different things and seeing what works for you because different body types and stuff are obviously different and yeah some body types respond better to certain types of diets um you know we, we had a bunch of people at work that did the keto thing maybe like a year or two ago and i remember yeah a lot of them lost weight but like you said i feel like they put it back on um really quickly yeah it's not really sustainable and i remember when i did it i was like it's meat and cheese. How could I like, how do you go wrong? Like that's, that's great. And then you start realizing like, you kind of miss vegetables and fruits. Like, it's like, man, you know, I, I could go for like a piece of fruit right now. It's something that you wouldn't, you know, meat and cheese is great. Right. Um, yeah. And then it just kind of goes away, but then you realize that, Oh, well the point is don't eat a lot of sugar. And mm-hmm. then, you know, so yeah, different, different strokes for different folks. Um, you know, I know a lot of people that swear by it, but what I think is if you can take some principles from like keto and like, you know, eat less bread or whatever, that's cool. But maybe going a hundred percent isn't, isn't the move either. Yeah. Yeah. No, I agree with you. I, and I also think like any diet that tells you that you can't eat fruit is kind of messed up. You know yeah. what I mean? Like mm-hmm. there's, there's gotta be something wrong there because obviously it's a natural food that grows on trees or plants or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, and I find myself craving that stuff too. Like your body needs carbohydrates. And I think sometimes fruit and vegetables are a great way to get them. Um, yeah. I'm kind of the same way. Like over the course of my life, I've played around with a lot of different like eating styles and nutrition plans. And it, it took me a long time to kind of dial it in. I was actually really fat in college. Okay. I was a high school athlete. I played uh, football and baseball. I was always very athletic. And then I stopped playing sports and I just started like in college, I didn't really play any sports. I wasn't exercising other than lifting weights. And uh, I was eating just complete garbage because in Mm -hmm. high school. Yeah, because that's what college is too. Yeah. And you got away with it when you're younger because your metabolism is so high and you're playing sports. And then uh, in college, I kind of continued that same eating style without all of that cardio and i just got fat as shit (laughs) yeah yeah Um, i um so i had a little different so in high school i didn't i wasn't an athlete but so i was like i was on the chunkier side but then when i went to college because of all the walking and and just everything like i lost instead of the freshman 15 i did like the freshman negative 15 so that was it's pretty cool my first year in college but you know like life has ways of uh evening out that roller coaster so you know Oh, for sure. Yeah, it yeah. all it ebbs and flows. You got yeah. just I, now. I'm at a point where I just like I'm all about balance. Yeah, exactly. You know, I try That's not to that eighty twenty principle, or you eat you eat clean eighty percent of the time, and then I eat probably just complete garbage twenty percent. Twenty percent. That's of the time. it. Yeah, that's not bad. And yeah. you know, I was talking to someone yesterday about this. Jocko Willink uh, posted a, vi- a video. His it was I think it was his daughter's birthday. They went to a uh, restaurant and he got his steak and uh, sweet potato, whatever it was. And then for dessert, his daughter wanted like a, like a cookie brownie, whatever in a cast iron skillet. Mm -hmm. And he was like, and guess what? I ate the damn skillet. Like, you know, like I, and I was like, I was so happy to hear that because you got these guys like Jocko and Goggins and, you know, these super tough masculine guys. And, and what I said to the guy I was talking to was, I think they get so hyper-focused on their mission and on their persona, Mm -hmm. but you got to, at the same time, it's that balance. It's that 80, 20, like there has to be some enjoyment in your life. 
You know, you can't, you can't just go balls to the wall. Like, Oh, I'm only going to be manly and I'm only going to be a carnivore and blah, blah, blah. Like, come on, man. If you're not enjoying your life, then why even do any of this? Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, and what you were saying about 80, 20 eating, I think that could be 80, 20 living, you know, like if if you, if you can be, you know, to your mission, 80% of the time and then chill 20%, I think that's pretty, pretty damn good. Yeah, that's, I, I think that's a really good point. Um, I agree 100%. Like, it has so many different applications from working out to nutrition to um, if you have like a side project that you like to do or a hobby, you know, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. sometimes, especially if you're like a competitive person uh, with yourself, I know I am, I like, mm-hmm. when I dive into something, I, I want to be the best at it. And sometimes that can, uh, you get overwhelmed because you start thinking like, Oh my God, I, okay. I got to do this. I got to do more of this. I got to do more of this. And it just become, it consumes your life. Yeah. You know, um, I play the guitar a little bit on the side. I've been doing that for a while. I really enjoy doing it. And there's some times where I have to step back and be like, I don't need to be the greatest guitar player on earth. It's okay. Just to like know some right. campfire songs and let's gather around the campfire and sing our campfire song. Our If you don't think that we can sing it faster than you're wrong, but it'll help if you just sing along. You know, mess around with it a little bit. So yeah, I I do. I think that 80-20 principle is, uh, I think you hit it on the head. Like that applies to so many other different things. Yeah, for sure. And you know, it's funny you said that because uh i've really been getting into simon sinek right now i don't know if you've ever listened to him or read him but he's he's one of these like business leader entrepreneur like thinker he does ted talks and everything okay and one of the things he did he was he was doing a talk at microsoft and he did a talk at mac uh at mac and basically he said that they're both their mindsets were totally different so his current book is uh it's called the infinite game. And basically uh, I'm totally going to steal his material right now, but uh, basically like, you know, you can't play an infinite game with a finite set of rules. So think of like policing, right? Like there's no such thing as winning policing, but what you can do is structure your career and your organization to last. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of what he said about Macintosh and, and uh, windows. So if you think of it, just life, right. Or like guitar playing, like you're not going to be the best guitar player. Like, you know, it's just not possible, but if you can just enjoy it and and flesh it out and live it, you know, that's kind of how, and this is like new to me as like last week, that's kind of how I've been looking at things like, like the podcast, for example, like I'm not going to have the number one podcast, you know, Joe Rogan's not going anywhere anytime soon, but if Mm -hmm. I can just, you know, last and enjoy, it's not too bad. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Especially when you like what you're doing and you're really right. enjoying it. That's a really good point. And you know, it's funny, like jujitsu is like that. Martial mm-hmm. arts are like that. Um, I think a lot of guys, when they start jujitsu, especially again, going back to being a competitive person, which a lot of us are, we start it and it's like, well, we want to be the best. Right. We want to get out there and just smash everybody and every and have everybody know that we're the best person on the mat. And it just like, it doesn't work like that. You know, uh, there's always people out there that are significantly better than you at anything, whether it be sure, jujitsu, sure, playing sure. the guitar, doing a podcast, um, 
So once you kind of learn that and accept that and you can step back and say, you know what, I'm doing this because it's fun and I enjoy yeah. it. I, I want to get better. I, I, sure. I want to do a good job. And I, I hope people, you know, uh, if I'm putting out content, I hope they enjoy the stuff I'm putting out. Or if I'm training with somebody, I hope I'm being a good training partner for them and challenging them. But at the same time, I know I'm not the best at all of the things that I do. And right. uh, mm-hmm. so, yeah, that's that's a really good point, I think. Yeah. Just, having fun with it. Yeah. I think taking the ego out of a lot of things and that's tough, you know, like law enforcement, we're all type a, we all have, you know, even if you're not like raw type a, like SWAT guys, you know, you always have that, like, I want to be the best, you know? Um, but yeah, definitely when you take the ego out of it and like you said, just like, again, competition is great. That's the whole point of like, you know, that's how you get better. Mm -hmm. Even if you're just competing with yourself, but you know, you take the ego out of it, you start having fun with it. And you actually, like, if you think of jujitsu, you're going to learn more because you're not, you know, you're not the, there's more air in the room and more people can start contributing and, and things like that. So I think you, great, great point. Um, so I always do this. It's, it's, it's a bad habit of mine. We're 15 minutes in, haven't even introduced you yet. Um, so let's <laughs> do that real quick. Uh, so we have Jason with uh, uh, jujitsu five Oh, so go ahead and introduce yourself and, uh, Tell us who you are, what you do, and we'll go from there. Yeah, man. Uh, so again, Jason, uh, I run a company called Jiu-Jitsu 5.0. And uh, we basically were a lifestyle company that promotes jujitsu for primarily for cops, but also for, you know, first responders and anyone looking to learn kind of self-defense and hands-on skills, um, realistic hands-on control and defense skills, I like to call it. Uh, I, I'm a full-time police officer as well. So Jiu-Jitsu 5.0 is kind of a side hustle, side business that I run. I've uh, been doing it for a couple of years now. It's been going really well, getting a lot of positive feedback. Um, and right now we're just trying to kind of grow the brand, um, grow the company, expand kind of what we're doing. And a big part of that is offering online training or virtual training uh, for people that maybe don't have access to a gym can't afford a full-time gym membership. Um, there's a lot of cops I feel like that live out in like rural areas and stuff mm. that maybe can't, can't make it to a gym three, four days a week to go train. Um, so we put out a lot of content obviously to give cops things that they can work on with a partner pretty much anywhere, things that they can, can consider um, when they're on the street dealing with suspects. So we do a lot of that kind of stuff. We have an iPhone app that we just put out um, probably about a couple few months ago, and that's been that's been going really well. I'm really excited about the direction of that. I think that's going to be kind of a game changer in our industry because, as we know, like traditional police defensive tactics suck. Yeah, and we like the stuff they teach is so old; it's never been effective, and. Um, I really want to change that. I want to give guys realistic things that they can train and mm-hmm. use on the street and go home safe to their families. And I, I get a lot of positive messages from cops that have seen some of my videos that will reach out to me on Instagram and say, Hey, I use that takedown that you showed, or I use this vehicle extraction technique that you showed and it worked great. And those messages, like they, they mean the world to me. Um, I love, I love hearing from other cops that are able to successfully use the stuff that we're putting out and that's really great. So that's kind of the business side of things. Um, but yeah, like outside of jujitsu five, Oh, I, like I said, I am a full-time police officer. I've been a cop for 11 years now, uh, primarily worked patrol 
currently in our training unit. So I pretty much am in charge of all of our department's training. Um, I'm a lead instructor for our combative tactics team. I'm a firearms instructor, field training officer. Um, yeah, that's, uh, that's pretty much it outside of work. I always like to say that because we like to tend to talk about like our careers and stuff, yeah, yeah. but um, kind of humanizing the badge a little bit outside of work. Uh, I've got three kids, so th- that keeps me pretty busy. Like mm-hmm. we're in sports season right now, so we're constantly like at baseball tournaments, games, and yeah. lacrosse tournaments and everything like that. Um, I mentioned the guitar thing. I'm, I'm trying to get better at guitar. That's another thing that's like super frustrating, mm-hmm. trying to pick up an instrument like not master it, but, but get good at it. Yeah. It's like yeah. anything it takes like daily practice. So I, I do that. And then obviously uh, I, I train jujitsu, you know, that's kind of my, that's the biggest part of my life. I try to hit the mats three or four days a week. I've been doing that for about 10, a little over 10 years now. Um, I'm currently a brown belt. I stopped caring about belt rank a long time ago. Um, now I just do it because it's a really fun way to stay in shape. I love the people mm-hmm. that I train with. I love putting out content for cops. Um, I, and so it's become, that's become a really big part of my life. Yeah. Um, you know, from that aspect. Yeah. And you know, the, the content creation, you know, and I, with my Instagram and this, that becomes a hobby to the mm-hmm. point of like, I mean, obviously if you make it a business like yourself, that's one thing, but it, you know, it's, it's a nice way of like having off time or off duty time and, still kind of police work. I don't know. It's, it's weird because I've always been a, a preacher of, you know, don't let the job consume you 24 hours a day. And here I am running a police page, but <laughs> yeah. at the same time, it's, it's more of a coping, not coping mechanism, just like a relaxation technique. I don't know. What got you into jujitsu? How did that start? Yeah. So I was, um, I was a new cop. I was probably like a one year cop at the time. And I knew deep down inside that I didn't know how to fight. I'm a smaller guy. I'm like 5'7", 165, 170. Um, And I knew I didn't know how to fight. And I I became a cop. And I knew that like we taught, you know, we went through the DT stuff and our academy and with my department. But I just knew that wasn't enough. And in the back of my mind, I was like, okay, if I really encounter somebody that's bigger, stronger, like, can I actually control that person? Am I actually going to be able to defend myself? And when I was honest with myself, the answer was no. Um, So I knew I needed to learn how to grapple and defend myself. So I started looking at different martial arts and I started exploring, like I was doing Google searches for like Mm -hmm. Krav Maga versus Jiu Jitsu Mm -hmm. and boxing versus Jiu Jitsu and all these different things. And there happened to be a Jiu Jitsu gym that was really close to my house at the time. And I still train there. Um, and that was like again through like a google search found this gym i go over i talk to the owner i come to find out there's like a ton of cops that train out of this place he's got a whole wall of uh patches from different agencies that he had framed on the wall so i was like well this is cool it's obviously a cop friendly gym and uh, i heard a lot of great things about jujitsu from doing my research and stuff and so he's like yeah you know what come and try class i did I literally like, I fell in love with it that day. I'm like, mm-hmm. I never want to not do this stuff. I want to do this every day, all the time. And uh, the rest was kind of history, man. I I literally haven't stopped since then. And I've been going to that same gym um, 
and it's been a little over 10 years now, made a lot of really good friends. There's a ton of cops that still train at my gym. But what's nice about it too, is like when we train together, we don't talk about cop stuff. Um, We talk about anything, but our job and the profession and the politics and all the bullshit that's happening right now. And so that's been a really, that's been a really good thing. Mm -hmm. Um, But then about blue belt level, I also started boxing because I kind of wanted to add some striking and strike defense to my game because that's something obviously that jujitsu doesn't necessarily focus on. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I started boxing back in probably 2013, 2014. I really liked that. Um, and I, I, I did some amateur fights, had a few concussions after I got a little bit older, I was like, okay, I don't think I want to compete anymore. Um, just do it all. Like it's pretty hard in the body. Mm-hmm. And so I, I started coaching and I coached boxing for several years. I really enjoyed doing that. Um, but jujitsu was always sort of like where my, where my heart was. That's where like my true passion is. But between those two arts, um, you know, it's, uh, it's been really fun to, to study those and learn them. And I think both are really applicable to our job, but, uh, jujitsu obviously being the, the most applicable to what we do as patrol cops every day. Sure. Sure. For sure. I mean, so my, my background, just, I don't even think my listeners know this, but, um, when I was a kid, my parents put me through karate. Um, I stopped going, I think when I hit purple belt or something like that. So I, I was doing pretty well, but you know, life happens. Stop going. Uh, didn't touch martial arts for several years. Uh, when I became a cop, uh, in FTO, I was having some confidence issues and I was like, all right, I'm going to go to, there was a jujitsu gym, like right around the corner from my house. So I reached out to the, the sensei and, um, he had me in. So what they were, it wasn't like a mixed martial arts gym, but it was at the same time. It was a little bit of Aikido, a little bit of Judo, and a little bit of Jiu-Jitsu. So it was a little bit of everything. Okay. Um, I really liked it, um, especially like the self-defense and the takedowns and things like that. What I didn't like were the throws and like landing on my back and things like that. Like that was not pleasant. Uh, yeah. So so I kind of – I shied away from it. Still, he's a, he's a great instructor and a great guy. I, I owe a lot to him. But I shied away from it and I just kind of stopped. Time and money kind of whatever. As of – I don't know. Today was day three. I started at a Brazilian jiu-jitsu gym, like right down the street from my house. And I got to tell you, it's insane. Just like you said, from the day one stepping on the mats, I was like, all right, I need to come here like every day. Like it's, it's, it's crazy. Um, I was talking to another guy through the Instagram and he's like, oh yeah, but you know, BJJ is like it's like a cult. And I was like, nah, it's not. And then I'm like on the mat, I was like, kind of is like, <laughs> like, you know, I was, I was thinking of like this whole, this old school, like cult thing where like everybody's hugging each other. And, but it was kind of, everyone was friendly. Everyone was yep. like welcoming and, and uh, inclusive as opposed to other gyms or like actual like weightlifting gyms where no one talks to you no one tries to help you out. It's all just like, you know, focused yeah. on themselves. But that, yep. that was kind of the nice thing. And there's a lot of cops that go to the jujitsu gym I go to now and and the uh, the professor that's teaching he he knew he knew I was a cop and so when he teaches me something he kind of like pulls me to the side and's like hey you know for work you're gonna want to try to do this like today we were doing a, a, a breakaway type thing and he's like yeah you're gonna want to keep this side away because you're gonna have your gun I was like oh yeah so it's really cool that he's incorporating all these things into one thing yeah that's awesome man congrats I'm that's that's awesome that you. Uh 
that you've started. Yeah, for sure. Um, and you're gonna get it. A, you'll be addicted for life now. Yeah, I. Uh, <laughs> so I went. I went two weeks ago, like the day before I left town for vacation. I came back. First day back, I was like, "All right, I need to go to jujitsu," and I did. And then today, I was like, "All right, I need to go again." And I was like, "I was just there yesterday, but it's okay. I need to go again." And so that's just. It's been great. Love it. Yeah, it's awesome. So you got your start. You you obviously have all this experience in it. What about jujitsu is so important for cops? Um, I don't know that there's necessarily one thing. Um, there's so many benefits to it. I mean, from a work perspective, like when you're actually applying it in the street, I think the safety thing is huge. Um, it teaches you how to safely control people without escalating force and without having to use like unnecessary um, uses of force, mm-hmm. such as baton, taser, OC, those things still have their place. Well, maybe not baton. I always tell my rookies to throw their batons in the garbage where they belong. <laughs> um, right. But, you know, unless you're using it as like a back scratcher or a door yep. knocker, that's it. Exactly. Or maybe shit, smash a window or something here yeah. and there. I've, you know, we've used it for that, but yeah, it, it teaches you realistic con- ways to control people that we're trying to arrest. Because if you think about any fight, like you've probably been in a bunch of fights on the street. I know I have. Most cops that have been cops for more than a few years have been in multiple fights trying to arrest someone that's um, uncooperative. The stuff they show in a lot of like traditional police defensive tactics, it's like these pressure points or these strikes and this and that. Maybe some of it works from time to time, but like from ex- from my experience, and I, I know this from talking to a lot of cops and watching training videos all the time, is like the majority of what we do when someone resists arrest is like we grapple with them. Mm-hmm. We wrestle with them. We literally are trying to throw them on the ground, control them, and get them in cuffs. The ideal scenario would be that no one gets hurt, cop or suspect. And jujitsu is literally called the gentle art, right? Like mm-hmm. that's its nickname. And there's a reason for that. And as you know, as you started training and as you as you keep training, you'll you'll start to realize more and more like why it's referred to as the gentle art. Now it's definitely hard on the body and you, you get put in a lot of uncomfortable positions. So sometimes yeah. I'm like, I don't know if we should call it the gentle art, but the gentler art. Yeah. Maybe. The gentler art. That's a good way to put it. Um, <laughs> yeah. So, but like, if you compare it to some of these other arts, like boxing, Muay Thai, those are all great sports and they're great fighting arts, but specifically for police, like the times where we're allowed legally to punch someone in the face, kick them, elbow them in the face, all of this stuff those are few and far between. Like we're right. rarely in a position when someone's just passively resisting or even just maybe actively resisting, you're still pretty limited legally in, as to what you can do. So jiu-jitsu is really, really good for that aspect, like at work, dealing with uncooperative people, or even if someone's attacking you, it's a great self-defense art, right? That's where jujitsu was ultimately like founded upon. It's a self-defense art at its mm-hmm. core. Right. Um, and so you learn a lot of that stuff too. And um, it kind of combines a little bit of wrestling, a little bit of judo, you know, you learn takedowns, you learn, there's, there's so many different aspects to it. So on the street, I think it's definitely the most effective um, fighting style or martial art, if you will for cops from that aspect. But then I think even now, more importantly, is like mental health and stuff is coming to light and we're, we're able to talk about it a little bit more openly as cops and as agencies and just like the general public. There's so many mental health benefits to training. Um, mm-hmm. 
you go to the mats and you grind it out and you train with people and you kick each other's ass. But like, for whatever reason, after that's over, you shake hands, you laugh, you sit up against the wall and kind of bullshit with your friends and, uh, talk about what went well, what didn't you talk about life. And it just becomes like this, almost like a spiritual place Mm -hmm. is the mass. Right. Um, and it's such a great workout. So like the physical benefits of it, there's no workout that I've ever done. I've been pretty active my entire life. Um, I've never done anything that's gotten me a better workout than jujitsu. I've, I used to be a long distance runner. I've ran a marathon. I've done powerlifting. I've done CrossFit. I've done everything. And jujitsu literally is like the hardest thing I've done, but also the most beneficial, um, just in terms of like overall fitness. And so like the physical mental benefits of it, I think are just, are, are huge. And you get to meet so many different people too. Like I talk about this a lot. Police agencies talk about like diversity training. Cops need more diversity training. We hear this all the time in society. Right. Go to any jujitsu gym across the country and you are going to meet, it's going to be like the most diverse group of people, right? I'll go train. I could go train right now at my gym and it's going to be a mix of cops, stoners, um, (laughs) gay, straight, Republican, Democrat, like anything that you can think of is represented in a jujitsu gym. And we're all there to try to accomplish the same goal. None of us are mad at each other. None of us hate each other. None of us talk shit to each other. We all get along because we're all there for the same reason. And ultimately you become, you become close friends with a lot of these people. And a lot of people that I've developed relationships with in, uh, over the last several years at my gym, we don't see eye to eye and everything. You know, there's a lot of, um, differences of opinion and different worldviews and different upbringings. But like none of that matters when you mm-hmm. train jujitsu, because those yeah. are my, those are my training partners. Those are my friends. And I don't care about any of that other stuff, you know? And, so when we when we hear that about like diversity training, I just kind of laugh. I'm like, you know what? You, sh- you should just send your cops to jujitsu class for a month, and then have them come back and and see how much diversity training they got. Because I guarantee you, it's going to be way more and better than having them sit in a classroom for eight hours and stare at a PowerPoint. Oh yeah, absolutely. <laughs> you know, that's my PowerPoint. It was never going to solve anything. But no, oh my god. I saw a thing on Instagram where uh, a police department's yearly refresher for defensive tactics was a PowerPoint. Really? Yeah. Oh yep. my God. So they're, they're, you know, whatever their uh, state requirement was an hour or whatever was a PowerPoint. I was like, that is completely useless. It's insane to me. And it was, and I'm not even all that surprised to be honest. Cause I have heard like there's States out there, there's agencies in Florida that I've heard from that tell me that, Hey, we do like four hours a year. We check all the boxes. We don't even really have to do any hands-on. We just have to kind of show up and go through the motions. We kick a bag a couple times and show that we can use our taser and show that we can do this. And I mean, what a what a disservice we're doing to those cops and the communities that they work for. Yep, I noticed um, a while ago. I think when I was I was looking into becoming a DT instructor, um, which now you know I'm gonna wait and learn more before I do that. But they were lumping for a while taser and DT to the same thing. And so for, to check the box for, you know, yearly, whatever is, well, if we do a couple hours of taser, we don't have to do DT or something like that. Oh my God. Or they would use the baton or they would use whatever. So then they're getting away from 
any kind of real defensive tactics. And it's going back to that tool reliance of the taser or the baton, God forbid, or even worse for me, the spray. Like, like you said, they all have their place Mm -hmm. to me. The only one that really has a place is the taser. And even that isn't a hundred percent effective. I've witnessed it not being effective, you know, and when we do need to go hands-on, especially in the world we live in now, you know, there's nothing great looking about, beating a guy with a baton, uh, spraying him in the face, tasing him. But if you're just holding somebody, oh, and there's nothing really all that humane looking about punching a guy or elbowing him or uh, kicking him or kneeing him. But again, if you're just holding someone, if you're just like restraining him, well, it doesn't look all that bad. Right. And you know, in this world we're living in perceptions, reality. So, yep. Yeah, it's true. I mean, I, I used to say like, we don't need, we shouldn't worry about what things look like because we have to take care of business at the end of the day and go home. Right. And I still believe that, but it's, it's starting to change. And unfortunately, like we do, the reality is we do have to consider what something looks like mm-hmm. because we've seen it. We, we see cops that are doing the right thing and they get into a use of force incident and it looks bad on camera, even though they're not doing anything wrong because violence never looks good. Right. And they get jammed up for it. You know, they get sued civilly. Maybe they go to jail. Maybe they get fired or maybe a combination of all of those things. And so we do have to factor those things in. And jujitsu is like, I tell people this all the time. If you watch a jujitsu tournament or like a live match on flow grappling or something, it's super boring if you've never done jujitsu, right? It's boring mm-hmm. to watch, which if you think about it, that's perfect for what we do for a living. We want boring videos. We want to watch the most boring police fight that no one wants to watch on YouTube. Let alone, I mean, hopefully no one even wants to post it on YouTube because it's so boring to watch. Um, And I really just grabbed the guy and laid there. Yeah. He takes him down and then he holds him in side control for two minutes till his party gets there. Okay. Uh, (laughs) That's not exciting. (laughs) What's exciting is he throws him on his head and then the cops on top of him and hammer fisting his face. Like people want to see that. That looks cool on World Star. That looks cool on YouTube. Um, but yeah, like side control or just like holding him in mount or or neon belly or something similar where nothing's happening. But yeah. as a jiu-jitsu practitioner, you watch, you're like, oh man, that dude's very uncomfortable right now. Yeah. Yeah. Just the people watching don't fully understand that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. And that like you said, that's that's good. That's what we want. We want to take some of the heat off. I remember there was a video, um, one of one of uh, Gracie's breakdowns he did. This guy uh, was trying to do a, abduct a kid in, in Central Park or something. And this guy just happened to be walking by and he was a mixed martial artist. And he, you know, stopped the guy. He took him down. He was holding him in a, in a, in a jujitsu hold. And he held him for like 10 minutes until the police got there. Just, I remember that video. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. And when, when Gracie had him on the, on his show, he was like, well, and he was wearing a Krav Maga shirt and he's like, well, why didn't you do Krav Maga? And I mean, he's like, why? Like it, it wasn't that serious. I, I had yeah. it. And the same thing that we're talking about, like while he was in this control, the guy was flailing, he was trying to whatever he was tiring himself out. So then when the cops got there, it was like, here you go. Like he was already tired out. He wasn't fighting anymore. And yeah. I mean, you know, when I talk about why I decided to go into jujitsu, that's one of the things I say is like, Hey, if he's going to take the fight out of himself and I don't have to do anything, but hold him, I'm good with that. Like, 
Yeah. I'm, I'm perfectly fine with that. Absolutely. Yeah. It, it, it definitely is an art where, and that's the thing. Once you get proficient at it, you understand like you don't have to use a lot of muscle or energy to, to take someone down and control them. You know, mm-hmm. it, I don't want to say it becomes easy, but the more you do it, it definitely is easier than you would think. Um, or like looking back on before I started training, it's way easier now than trying to like muscle the person and fight kind of strength for strength. Cause there's always gonna be people that are bigger and stronger than you, no matter how strong you get. So jujitsu is kind of like the great equalizer. Right. 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 So yeah, that's, uh, that's a, those are all, those are all good points, man. I jujitsu is awesome. I obviously try to preach it as much as I can for cops, especially mm-hmm. even if they don't want to think about it from like that, because I think a lot of cops still think about it as like more defensive tactics because they don't know right, it. Right, they don't know right. about it. So getting them to train and getting guys to come try a class, it's like, well, why would I want to go do defensive tactics on my off days? You know? Right. Or, yeah. Because like the traditionally, all my defensive tactics classes have sucked. I have to go in like on my off days. I don't want to be there. The material sucks. I don't learn anything. So why would I want to do more of that? Right. In it's my not free effective. Time. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that's where my own money. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And that's, that's where people like you and, you know, there's a bunch of different uh, jujitsu kind of, you know, it's, it's growing now, but, but people like, like your page um, is great because now they can see like, all right, this is what's being done. It's not going to be just, you know, spear fingers and get back. It's, it's yeah. legit, <laughs> um, you know, just stuff that you can do on the street and it's going to work. And, you know, is that how Jiu-Jitsu 5.0 started as you were just kind of making these videos or how did it start? Yeah, it's actually so like the name I uh, started as a weekly grappling club that I had at our PD. We were doing like a, a weekly club. Guys would come in. Um, we'd, we'd roll for an hour or two. I'd show a couple techniques and then we'd train and we were having some fun with it. I'd get like you know, maybe three, four or five guys that would show up each week. It wasn't a very big class. Um, but I knew I've been teaching jujitsu for a while, um, both like to cops as well as like, you know, um, various classes and stuff. So I knew I wanted to continue doing that. I knew I wanted to spread jujitsu throughout the law enforcement industry and I wanted to do it on like a wider scale. And so that's where kind of like the social media stuff came into play. I, I created the page and I'm like, i I just made a kind of promise to myself, like I'm going to put out good content and I'm going to do it consistently. Mm -hmm. Um, And I'm going to, you know, just start coming up with situations that I've been involved in that I know my partners have been involved in and like show people like, Hey, this stuff works. Like you said, Um, here, here are some options. Like what I'm showing is not the end all be all. Cause I'll get those comments. You know how social Mm -hmm. media is. You got to, you got a lot of followers and, you'll get those comments where it's like, yeah, but what if the guy does this or um, whatever the person wants to say. Right. <laughs> um, so I like the stuff I'm putting out is not meant to be the end all be all solution to every problem. Jiu-jitsu is not the end all solution um, to every problem. Sometimes you might have to go to something else. Yeah. Sometimes you might have to punch someone in the face. Sometimes you might have to hold them at gunpoint. Sometimes you might have to do whatever. The stuff I'm putting out is is just like I wanted to give cops options that I knew they probably weren't getting from their traditional departmental defensive tactics 
like you said, with the spear hands and the get back and we pull out our <laughs> baton and we do all this like bullshit that was created in like the seventies that we just have never evolved from, you know? Um, so like headlock escapes are a great example. Mm-hmm. I'm, what do you do if someone puts you in a headlock? That's a super common attack, but I think a lot of people would have no idea how to get out of a headlock. Right. Right. I remember so, the, the thing they taught us in the Academy was like, Oh, you're just going to grab him by his thigh and that's going to make him go ow. And then you're going to, Oh go, God. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. I was like, what the hell? <laughs> Even as I'm, I'm doing this, I'm like, this is the dumbest thing I've ever seen. Yep. And that's exactly like, that's exactly it. Like, I know there's stuff out there like that. Um, or cops will even say like, well, I would take my pen out and I would stab him in the, the <laughs> dick with it or whatever. Right. It's like, okay, legally, can you do that? Also, how often do you train that? Because if you never train it, you're not going to think to do that under stress. So let's think about some more realistic options that we Mm -hmm. can use. And so that was my, that was my biggest thing. Um, Because I use that hashtag train for real. That's kind of my Mm -hmm. tagline for jujitsu 5.0. And that's part of what I mean by that is train realistic stuff. Like that's actually going to work. That's actually going to be effective that you can apply in everyday encounters on the street do it for real. Um, and when you train, do it with some intensity, do it in full gear, do it. Um, you know, once you're comfortable with the technique, add resistance to it, like do it for real. Right. 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 Do it for the real world. That's, that's kind of what that whole train for real thing stands by. So that was really my goal with, uh, with jujitsu five Oh, in terms of like the Instagram page and my Facebook and YouTube stuff. When I started, I just wanted to put stuff out there that cops could access for free, see it, save it, share it, um, and hopefully use it. And I know a lot of people have, cause I get those messages all the time and it, uh, it makes me feel really good. It motivates me to keep going. Cause as you know, like creating content in, in and of itself is like, it can consume your life. Oh, absolutely. And then, you know, I'm, <laughs> mine's easy. Like I can do mine on the toilet. I just make a picture and put a caption. I'm good, but yours, you, yeah. know, you actually have to take time and, and train and, and do these things, but it's great. And it's very important what you said, you know, your slogan, I also thought of in, in the situation where high stress, high, you know, high anxiety going on, you're going to revert to your, to your training. You're not Mm going to, you're not going to start reinventing the wheel when shit's hitting the fan. You're going to go to whatever, you know, and that's where I think we see a lot of cops jamming themselves up. They're going to go do these crazy things. You know, they're going to have excessive force. They're going to, you know, probably use the wrong level of force. Um, yep. because they panic because they don't have confidence in whatever they're doing. So then they just freak out and right. here we are. Um, so I think you're absolutely right. And the other thing that I was going to touch on is, is one thing to watch the videos. The videos are great. Uh, they give a lot of ideas and a lot of kind of food for thought, Yep. but it's so important to do it. Like you can't, you're not going to like, like I know a lot of people will be like, oh, well, I'm a visual learner. I can watch this video 10 times and I'm going to know how to do this. No, (laughs) that's not how it works. You need to train it. And that's, that's super important. Yep. A hundred percent. And if if you don't have access to a gym or like if you just are, you're short on time because you have kids and sports and the whole thing, like I get it. Like that's the number one, or there's two things I think that turn people off to consistent training. Well, three, but two of the big ones for cops are time and money. I talk mm-hmm. about that all the time and I, and I get it because I am a cop and I understand that time is like, we don't have a lot of free time. We work 12 hour shifts. A lot of us like 
I don't work overnights currently, but I have, and I, I understand what that's like. It, it takes up so much of your life and on your off days, you're just trying to play catch up on yeah. sleep and running errands and all of the things and jujitsu can be expensive. So the stuff I'm putting out to train it, like there's other things that you can do. Obviously, like if you download my app for iPhone, um, we have everything in there and you can grab a partner, for example, after shift briefing, spend five to 10 minutes drilling one technique, one headlock escape, right? Let's say you, you take a technique, you drill it all week for your four days on or five days on, whatever your schedule looks like. And you do that for five to 10 minutes. Well, if you do it even five minutes, four days a week, that's 20 minutes a week, drilling the same technique, do that for a month, right? Um, before you know it, like you're going to be pretty proficient at that technique and it doesn't take a lot. Like you don't have to necessarily go spend your life at a jujitsu gym to get good at fundamental basic jujitsu. You can do it at work, on duty, on your lunch break. Like there's, there's things that you can train um, in, in short increments. Like my guy, uh, Chad Lyman, I don't know if you know Chad Lyman. Um, mm. He's uh, he's a badass dude. I got to meet him uh, in Austin, Texas at the Invictus Law Enforcement Seminar. Okay. They invited me down to teach with them, which was great. I got to meet so many cool people and instructors down there. Um, but Chad Lyman, he's an uh, old school cop and a cop forever jiu-jitsu black belt he has his own company um police training company as well he teaches cops jiu-jitsu and all sorts of stuff but super good dude but he always says um train a little a lot and that kind of hit me i really like that saying because i feel like if you can look at it from that perspective kind of going back to what we were talking about before like you don't have to be the best you don't have to dedicate your life uh to training two hours a day, six days a week, right? Mm -hmm. you, you can train a little, a lot. And doing that over time is going to make you really proficient at those things that you're training. And um, so sometimes I think you just got to get creative and, and cops are competitive. They want to be the best. They think that they have to dive all the way in and spend, you know, their life doing it to become good. And I just, that's not, that's not the case. It all depends on your goals. Like if you want to go be a, you know, if you want to go win masters worlds and pans and whatever, mm -hmm. yeah, you're going to have to probably go to the mats and you're going to have to dedicate some time to training to do that. But if, if all you're looking to do is learn how to like control someone on the street efficiently and, and effectively and defend yourself against common attacks, like punches, headlock escapes, like you can train that stuff wherever mm -hmm. it doesn't have to take a lot of time. So I think that's something that, you know, should be said and that in in that cop should know. I think um I think you're absolutely right and I feel like, you know, our culture's changing. Like you said earlier about mental health. Like that's that's changing. Like we're now talking mm -hmm. about it a lot more. I hope the next shift or the next thing we're going to add to that is, you know, revitalizing the defensive tactics. And I think it's probably going to come. I think the world is going to make us kind of look at defensive tactics a little bit differently. I mean, yeah. even I'm sure you saw, I can't even remember where it is, but there's one police department that's mandating uh, that they're all their cops need to be blue belts in jujitsu. Did you see that? Yeah. Somewhere in the Midwest. A, there's a couple of things that have been coming out like that. I know uh, Marietta County, Georgia, they all train and that's like they're mandated to train. Like their new officers are mandated to go through 
like five months of jujitsu, I think, okay. consistent jujitsu training, which is awesome. Yeah. Um, there is a lot of talk right now about like cops getting blue belts and that all cops should be blue belts. And I, I know I've seen a few things like floating around on the internet mm-hmm. regarding mm-hmm. that. And I really like the idea of that because I think it it's great for promoting jujitsu um, and getting cops to kind of understand, hey, what is this? this art like why should i be learning it so it's it's really good for that aspect of it what i'm concerned about and what i hope doesn't happen is that the blue belt becomes sort of like this end goal right, right? and yeah. like mm-hmm. an admin you know how they are they're gonna be like oh well my cop can get a blue belt and then he's certified in jujitsu uh, oh then, sure yeah yeah and then they can and then they can stop and we don't have to pay for that anymore or like in my mind I would love a world where every patrol cop, and that's the other thing. We always say, like, you hear a lot, like, all cops should train jujitsu. All cops should be blue belts. Well, I kind of disagree because cops mean, the word cops can mean a lot of things. Mm-hmm. You have guys that work investigations that are probably never going to get a fight in their entire career. And that's right. no offense no offense <laughs> to my dudes and gals that work investigations. Um, I love them, but they're probably not going to get a fight. Very rare because they're not maybe, doing shit maybe like, like a printer or something, but yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, you got cops that are officers, but maybe work for like the feds and they're like more of desk job. They're not the potential for them getting in fights is not. So when we say all cops should train jujitsu, yeah, that would be great. But like, if we're being honest, A, it's never going to happen. And B, I don't know that like every single cop in the United States of America needs to train jujitsu. It'd be, it's good for them if they do, and it's good for the sport. But my thing is, like, I think every cop that works patrol in the United States of America should train jujitsu. Mm-hmm. And ideally, they would be legitimate black belts because that would mean they've dedicated their life to training and not just getting a blue belt, which in the end of the world, like at the end of the day, it's a piece of fabric you wear around your waist that right. doesn't really mean anything. Like, it shows proficiency. And I don't get me wrong, like, the rank of blue belt, that's a good rank. And you, you have a good understanding of jujitsu fundamentals. And if every patrol cop was like a legit blue belt, I think that'd be phenomenal. Mm-hmm. I think it'd be even better though, if we kind of moved beyond this idea of the blue belt and just said, okay, let's get cops to start training, regardless right, of what right. belt rank they achieve. Let's just get them to start training, keep them in it. Hopefully they do it consistently enough to where, yeah, they get their blue belt, but they do it for so long that like the blue belt was like, that happened a long time ago. Now they're purple, brown, and black belts. And now they're training other cops that are starting, mm-hmm. um, you know, their careers. And it, and it becomes a thing where it's just like the new normal for all of us that work patrol um, to train. I like, that's where I'm at with it. Yeah, I agree. Um, I think, I think you're absolutely right. Uh, there was something else I was going to say regarding that. Um, you know, I think the problem is you can't mandate something like that either. And, you know, I think cops are always going to be resistant to a mandate. Like when you tell me I have to do something, well, now I don't want to, um, but there needs to be some kind of culture change. Like I was saying, like some kind of mentality where we can promote this and it can be well received. Cause like, like you said, you know, if you can get, you know, more people wanting to do that, um, as long as you open the door and get people in the door, you, it, it's a, it's a good start. Um, yeah. so I think, I think you're absolutely right. Um, 
And I think we're seeing that a lot more, like like we were just talking about, and hopefully it keeps going like that. Um, yeah. So. Yeah. I think there's starting to be a shift, you know, like, especially I, when I was down in Austin at that seminar, there was a uh, police chief that was a blue belt that trained. Mm-hmm. And that was great to see because I feel like that's another big part of it is when, when people are leading by example and there's people that are well-liked and well-respected and like, oh, that guy trains jujitsu. Like maybe that's something I should, I should try. Yeah. He's been talking to me about it. You know, I know they can't make me do it, but like, let's, let's give it a try and see and see how I like it. Cause you're a hundred percent, right? Like if you tell a cop, Yvonne told him to do something, <laughs> it ain't going to happen. Like right. he's going to instantly hate it. He's going to be resentful toward you. <laughs> right. Right. Oh, like, yeah. And what I was going to say was when you're saying like, let's get patrol officers to do it. And it, this is kind of ties in everything you've said so far is it checks every box. Right. So you get, you get a cop, let's say he's a 10 year player. Uh, but he's he's one of these like washed up. He doesn't really love it anymore. He's just kind of collecting the paycheck. But now, hey man, let, we're gonna do we're gonna get you rolling on the mat. Okay, whatever. Mm-hmm. So now you've got the physical health aspect being worked on. So now he's gonna get back in shape. Mental yep. health, maybe he's got issues going on at home or something like that. You know, so you got mental health now going on because he's like you said, there's like some kind of mental clarity that comes from rolling on the mat. Absolutely, you've got. You've got talking to people. So let's say you've got, you know, the new thing with this generation coming out, you know, the new rookies is they can't talk to people. So now you get them on the mats. Now they're talking to people. Now, you know, they're, they're BS and they're having this thing. But not only that, you're going to gain confidence to talk to people on the street because now, hey, if this guy comes at me, I know what I can do. So let's have a conversation. I'm not going to be so timid and not engage him properly. I guess. Yeah. And, and then, of course, obviously there's that, you know, you can handle yourself in a fight. So many different things, all the, like I said, all the boxes being checked. And that's why I think that what you said about let's start encouraging more cops to do this is a, is a good thing. And I like how with you, with your training, you did jujitsu, you loved it. And then you're like, all right, I need to add something more to this. And then you took up boxing. Like, I think that's good too. Cause like you said, it's not the end all be all, but if you can start adding more, and again, we always talk about adding tools to the tool belt, right? Mm-hmm. So if you have different disciplines or different uh, areas of special uh, specialty, you know, you're just going to be more well-rounded. You're going to be more of an asset. And that's what we do yeah. with all of our other training. That's why we, you know, we're radar and we're, we're DREs. We got all these different things that make us a police officer. Martial arts is no different. Right. Yeah. You want to, you want to be well-rounded. That's a really good, good point. And the confidence thing too, that was, a, that was something we haven't really uh, touched on, but it does. It, it builds confidence. Jiu-jitsu builds confidence. And that's so important when you're dealing with somebody on the street who you know is going to fight or is, you know, being an asshole, which we deal with all the time. You can talk to that person normally and like calmly. You can, you can just say like, hey, this is where we're at. This is where this is going to go. And you're displaying to that person like, I'm not afraid of you. I'm not mm-hmm. screaming at you. I'm not yelling at you because they just feed off of that. Of course. Um, yeah. I feel like when you're scared and I mean, let's be honest, like we've all been scared before. every cop. If they tell you, I don't, I'm not afraid of anything. That's fucking bullshit. In my opinion. <laughs> right, yeah. Um, like you've been scared. I, I know I have. And if, if you're dealing with somebody and you start screaming at them and trying to posture, like these dudes that have been around for a while, especially the, they OGs, can see right through it. Oh yeah, they see through it. But if you got a guy that's super calm, 
and you're looking at him and like in the eye, like you can tell, all right, this dude for whatever reason is not afraid of me. And I can sense that. I think that goes a long way. And it, it also, I think helps prevent like that excessive use of force because when shit hits the fan and you do have to go hands on, if you know what you're doing, it's not a big deal. It's not a problem. Mm -hmm. If you have no idea what you're doing and the guy is not listening and he's still not complying, well, guess what happens? And we see it all the time. Knee strikes, elbows, punches to the face, baton, taser, OC, sometimes all of those things in one incident with five or six cops versus one person. And it's like, was that, I mean, was it really necessary? And you can try to articulate it all you want, but I watch a lot of these videos and I'm like, clearly none of those people have trained outside of their four hours of defensive mm -hmm. tactics. Right. And like it, it's not that necessary. You could, there's other ways, better ways to control people. And the confidence is a big part of that. All it, all it probably took is maybe one, maybe two well-trained individuals and it wouldn't have been a big pile. And that's yeah, absolutely. I, you know, one of my old partners, uh, he doesn't work for our agency anymore. He went to the FBI. Uh, but when he worked for us, he was a jujitsu black belt at the time. I was a purple belt. We got in a few fights together on the street and it was funny because like both of us were almost like, like laughing as mm -hmm. like the person's trying to fight with us because we knew like this person's not going to do anything. We, we both had several years of training under our belts. We just would kind of look at each other and be like, okay, we knew how to communicate. Um, we weren't fighting each other. We knew exactly what to do with the person. And it, it was, it was, it was almost laughable. And I, so I think if, more cops kind of had that training under their belt and they had that confidence you wouldn't see some of these crazy excessive uses of force that we sometimes see and i'm not saying like every use of force incident is is crazy and excessive and unwarranted right. because sometimes you have to punch people sometimes you have to knee strike people i get that but um i think a lot of those instances could be like squashed right away if those yeah, cops had sure. better training, right? Yeah. So. No, I think you're absolutely right. And hopefully now, you know, this is actually the second uh, pro jujitsu episode I've done. And hopefully people are really starting to get like, all right, I really need to look into this. And, and you guys, you know, you provide just another service, another offer for people to look into it. So if they're still on the fence, they can look at your videos and be like, this is, this is exactly what I want. Um, yeah. So Jason, we're going to start wrapping it up, but if someone is looking to get in contact with you or Jiu-Jitsu 5 how do, how do they find you? Yeah, so uh, you can hit us up on Instagram. That's probably the easiest way where most people are right now. It's Jiu-Jitsu 5 underscore O is our handle on Instagram. Uh, we also have a YouTube channel, Facebook page. If you want to reach out to us, though, on Instagram, send us a uh, DM. I usually get back to pretty much every single person that reaches out to us. We also have a website. Uh, if you do train jujitsu and you're looking for like uh, branded jujitsu gear, so geese, rash guards, apparel, we've got all that on our website. Um, and then our app, if you download our app on the uh, app store, it's currently available for Apple. Android version will be dropping this month as well. Um, that's where you can find like exclusive content videos. We've got all of our like technique libraries, workouts, solo drills, mobility drills, and then monthly nutrition plans. It's all in the app. So if you're looking for like kind of a where do I start, 
that would be a really good place to check it out, download the app, um, and go from there. But yeah, we're pretty easy to get a hold of. Um, you can hit me up on any one of those channels and we're available for you. So awesome. So the last thing we do on, on my episodes is now you're gonna be my guinea pig. So we yeah. typically play a game where I like ask you a bunch of questions and you give me an answer. That's what we're going to do, but I'm doing it a little differently from here on. Uh, lost my mouse. Where'd it go? So this is called Signal 3. Or no, yeah. that's what it used to be called. Now it's called Signal 15. So it's going to be 15 questions. Um, we've got overrated, underrated, this or that, and then uh, like an open-ended question at the end. You ready to play it? I'm ready. Let's do All it. Right. Here we go. So the first five is going to be overrated, underrated. So All you right. tell me if this is going to be overrated, underrated, or if it's right where it needs to be. All right, here we go. Night shift. Oh, overrated. Okay. You, you've been inside for too long. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No. It's overrated in like it's, uh, it's all of its glory. Like it can be a lot of fun, but at the mm-hmm. same time, like the sleep deprivation and the uh, getting divorced and all that stuff. That <laughs> <Yeah>. it, uh, <laughs> I nope, think it's yeah. overrated. Okay. Uh, what about the Crown Vic? Ooh underrated that's the baddest ass police car that has ever been invented underrated all right fair enough what about working off duty jobs or overtime overrated can't stand it i've done it i hate it uh yeah it way overrated yeah yeah the money's nice but you know what I, i'm at it, the point now where give me my time i want to yep. be absolutely time's uh, invaluable yeah absolutely what about s'mores who uh i you know I think s'mores are overrated, to be honest with you. I'm not a huge chocolate guy. I do love graham crackers, but I think it's the marshmallows that do it for me. I think Okay. if it was just Hershey's uh, uh, chocolate bars and graham crackers. Good with that. Especially the honey graham crackers. I think oh, yeah. that would be that would be underrated. But the s'mores with the marshmallows is probably overrated. And I think I think it's in, it, when I ask people this question, it's always the same. I think it's the sticky melted marshmallow that's really the problem. Like if it's yeah, just a normal pain. marshmallow, no, yeah, it's the yeah, best. Yeah, and they have to eat. Yep. Yep. Uh, <laughs> what about going to see a movie? Oh, I guess it depends on the. So, well, I'm a cop, so I hate crowds and people. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That sounds bad. I don't hate people. I do hate crowds. Though, and um, so I would say that that's overrated. I'd rather stay home and just watch Netflix or whatever. Well, you know, and now thanks to COVID, this is like a good thing from COVID. Like every movie is being released on like HBO Max and the movie theater. So if you don't want right. to deal with the people, you can watch it at home and it's a million times better. Hopefully we stick with that. All right. Now yeah. this next, the next uh, five questions is going to be this or that. So I'm going to give you two options. You pick which one you want. Okay. Dogs or cats? Dogs. 100%. Coffee coffee or energy drinks? Coffee. Uh, How do you take your coffee? Black. Okay. Patrol or specialized units? Uh, Patrol. Okay. Uh, Burgers or tacos? Oh, shit. That's a really hard one. (laughs) I'm going to have to go tacos. Okay. Uh, This one's a little bit different. Would you rather ride in the train, dance in the rain, or feel no pain? Uh, well, I'm going to be 41 this year, so I'm going to say feel no pain. <laughs> okay. <laughs> that sounds good. All right. And then the last three, last five are going to be open-ended. What is your dream vacation destination? <sighs> Hawaii. Okay. I've, so full disclosure, I've, I've already been there once, but it was so awesome that I, that that's kind of my dream. I'd love to live there. It's a, it's an amazing place. So yeah. Okay. 
Awesome. Uh, what's your favorite donut flavor? Just a regular glazed donut. No sprinkles, no extras, just glazed donut. Just as, as naked as the day it was born, just glazed. Yep, glazed. Awesome. If you were going into the biggest moment of your life, you're walking into a fight, what's your walk-on song? Oh, man. My favorite song of all time is probably Be Quiet and Drive by the Deftones. So it might okay. be that one. All right. That's a good one. All right. What is the best piece of advice anyone ever gave you? Uh, don't care what people think about you. Okay. That's a good one. And the last question. If you could share a meal with one person dead or alive that you never met, who would it be and what would you order? Oh, man, that's a really tricky question. Um, dead or alive, someone I could eat dinner with? Is that the question? Yeah, one person dead or alive you never met that you would share a meal with. Man, um, I feel like I'd want to meet like a famous guy. There's so many people I'd want to meet. Most of them are probably dead. Mm-hmm. Um, can I do one alive person and one dead person? I'll give you one. Yeah, I'll let you do that. I don't know if anyone's asked you that before with this question. Nah, go for uh, it. Alive, I'd, I'd really like to meet Joe Rogan. I think he's a super interesting dude. Um, and I'd love to pick his brain just because of all the, like, you know, he's an interesting guy. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So I'd like, and I don't know, we'd probably eat fucking elk and drink whiskey together or something. Um, <laughs> right, right. And then just don't, a dead just don't drink his tea. Just don't drink his tea. Yeah, no, God. I'd be, uh, <laughs> be on a trip for like a week in my brain. Right. Um, dead person, I would probably say, um, God, I'd like to meet, uh, let's go with Jimi Hendrix. Okay. I, I had a feeling you were going to say Jimi Hendrix. Yeah, I think Jimi Hendrix would be cool. And I don't know what we would eat, uh, probably some acid or something. <laughs> um, man, I, I'd like to have some tacos uh, with Jimi Hendrix. That'd be cool. All right. Yeah. Very cool. I like it. Those are, those are people that people haven't said before. So that's good. I love it. Awesome, man. This is an awesome conversation. I really appreciate your time. And yeah. Um, yeah, thanks a lot. Thanks for having me on. This was fun, man. It was, uh, yeah, it was good chatting with you. Absolutely. And we'll, uh, we'll get with you later. And again, everybody check out jujitsu five Oh and uh, great stuff on there, man. Awesome. I appreciate it. Yeah. Thank you very much. Stay safe. Thank you. You too. Everyone listening. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. I'm back and thank you very much to Jason having that amazing conversation. Great time. Great talk. 
And uh, I hope you guys are now like, man, I really, I want to go train jujitsu. I want to try it. I want to see what it's all about. Again, check out Jiu-Jitsu 5.0. It's on Instagram. They've got the apps. I think they're, if they didn't do it today, uh, they, they're about to release that, uh, the Android app as well. So check it out, man. Get into it. Now, one thing he talked about is that Jiu-Jitsu can be expensive. Uh, I just paid for a year. I Honestly, I can't remember what I paid, but it can be. It can be expensive. But because people are starting to see the value in jiu-jitsu, people are starting to invest in cops doing jiu-jitsu. And that's what I want to talk about, the Adopt-A-Cop Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu uh, Fund. Adopt-A-Cop BJJ is a nonprofit donation-based program that allows active-duty patrolling police officers around the country to train at any Adopt-A-Cop BJJ-affiliated academy, and Adopt-A-Cop will pay 100% of the officer's membership until they reach the rank of blue belt. So what I want you to do, go to adoptacopbjj.org and check it out. They've got, you can make a donation if you want to start like um, uh, paying into it so others can, you know, get the training or you can put yourself in and you can also find the gyms that are available near you. So you can just, you know, pop in your, your location and it'll tell you if there's a gym nearby that participates. And, you know, I'm actually about to go to class myself. Uh, it's been a crazy week for me. Lots of work. Um, I'm actually, I don't even know what day it is, but I was working 12 days in a row and I'm like right in the middle of it. So, you know, my body is like, bro, when are we getting a day off? And I tried to take today off, but I had previously signed up for some overtime. Uh, so I'm going to go train and then I'm going to go to work. So it is what it is, guys, you know, and... Um, but it's valuable. It is. And, you know, I, I enjoy working. So I've kind of, I in, uh, inherited my father's uh, workaholic tendencies, which is kind of ironic because when he was, he got sick, um, he was in the hospital room and, you know, I told him I was working, I was working at a call center at the time. And I was, I was saying something about, oh, I got to go sleep because I got to go right back to work or something like that. And, you know, he told me, you know, money's nice. And, and being able to afford things and spend things, spend money on things is nice, but like, don't, don't burn yourself out. There's actually, there's a poem by Edna St. Vincent Millay, and it says, my candle burns at both ends. It will not last the night, but oh, my foes and oh, my friends, it gives a lovely light. And, you know, he sent that to me and I mean, it, it hit home and I, I still do it at times. You know, I enjoy working. I get, I get a, uh, a sense of pride out of working and that's kind of why I do it. And sometimes like tonight, I didn't expect today to be such a busy day off duty. And then, you know, that's why I took the overtime. And then by the time today rolled around, I'm like, someone take this OT and, and no one did. Uh, like I said, in, uh, in the conversation with Jason though, you know, I've kind of learned to value my time off way more now than, uh, than I did. I mean, there were, there were times over the beginning of my career where I was working literally 24 hours straight um, violating, violating policies and stuff, but, you know, I kind of worked around it. Um, you know, it's just not saying that what I did was right. I'm just saying it's what I did. You know what I mean? But anyway, guys, that's going to conclude the episode today. Um, I really hope you guys got value out of it. The beginning talking about Simon and like really figuring out why you're doing this. And, you know, I know a lot of people are kind of reimagining what and why they're doing this job. Uh, I really hope that hammered home some things to you, made you start thinking. Um, you know, I'm in a interesting predicament in this world uh, right now. 
which I can't really get into yet. Hopefully I can start divulging information in the near future, but uh, I'm in an interesting predicament where everyone's running away from the job and I'm not actually, I'm double doubling down on it. Um, it's just, it's crazy, but you know, you gotta, you gotta see what's important. And I'll be honest, there's been times within the past week or so that I'm like, you know, people that leave the job, they look really happy. <laughs> and I mean, I, I mean, I'm being straight honest with you guys, but it all comes down to the why, you know, what, yeah, I could, I could work at a freaking beer, uh, brewery and I could serve beer. I could be a beer tender. And would I enjoy it for sure? But would I get fulfillment out of it? No, I, I know for a fact I wouldn't get fulfillment out of it. I would enjoy it. I would enjoy it for a time, and then I'd be like, "All right, I want to go do something else." I know it. I know for a fact. So, you guys got to think about that. You guys got to really figure out your why. You got to figure out why you're doing this. And hopefully, the talk with Simon helped. And then following up with that, hopefully, the talk with Jason helped. I'm sorry, I said talk with Simon. I wish I could talk to Simon on the podcast. Holy cow. That's a goal. Um, but hopefully talking about what Simon talked about and then uh, hopefully the conversation with Jason inspired you. Like I said, I'm about to go uh, suit up for jujitsu myself. And yeah, man, that's that's kind of it. That concludes the episode for today. Next week, we're going to have Brady Tucker from Books Behind the Badge. We're going to talk. He's actually in the academy right now um, to be a deputy. And we're going to talk about that. You know, I, I always talk to the senior guys. Well, I want to talk to a rookie. I want to see what's going on in his mind, why he's doing it, you know, amid all this stuff. And hopefully you guys get some um, some value out of that. Coming up in a few weeks from now is going to be the highly anticipated interview with Sheriff Grady Judd from Polk County, Florida. We also have a leadership council. I told you about that. So instead of like a cop council episode where it's just like me and a couple talking about like um, – like heavy issues. This is going to be, uh, we got Tom Rizzo, Lamont Quarker, Kevin Malone, uh, George Frannick from project one Oh nine. I think that's all of them. I think that's all of them. Um, we're going to be sitting down and talking about leadership and how we can be better. What makes a good leader? What makes uh, a good squad or a good department to work for guys? I'm so excited for this conversation. We're actually having it in a few days and, uh, it'll be coming up in a few weeks we're gonna have that um we've got jeff smith coming up from street cop training he's gonna be giving something we've, we've got a lot coming up guys um i've got this this lady Ginny burton coming up she is uh she's a former drug addict who's turned her life around um and she just graduated from college i mean it's it's amazing amazing story i can't wait to share it with you guys lots of good stuff coming up lots of um interesting and informative stuff coming and eventually I'll finish editing the Drunk Cops 3 episode. Uh, I'll be honest, I really just haven't had time to do anything more than the single episode I'm working on this week. But hopefully I get some time and I can um, work on that for you guys and share it. It was a good time. The music for today's episode, we started with John Mayer's Last Train Home. That's his new uh, EP out. I've listened to it front to back. I think it's like three or four songs. It's so great, guys. Got to go check it out. I loved it. Um, I listen to it all the time. Love John Mayer, whatever. That might make me a basic bitch. I don't care, but it is a good, good record. Then we went with Coheed and Cambria. You got Spirit Kid kind of going with the whole kind of overarching uh, feelings of today's episode. 
you know, your why, you know, what's driving you. So it kind of goes with that, uh, you know, on a more cynical note. But, you know, I, I didn't grow up enjoying Coheed. Uh, my buddy growing up loved Coheed. I never really got into it. And then, you know, I, I was listening to some mix on Spotify and uh, Welcome Home came on. I was like, oh, man, that would be a, such a good song. Like, talk about hype songs. That 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 wouldn't be my hype song. But, man, that could be. You know what I mean? Um, and then uh, You Got Spirit Kid came on. And I was like, oh, this is a good song. It kind of fits the, you know, what we're talking about. Then after the interview, we had Be Quiet and Drive by Deftones for Jason. And we're going to finish up with A Day to Remember High Diving off their new album, Welcome Home. I think it's called Welcome Home. I don't know, whatever their, their new album is. Um, I've listened to it a lot. It's not like your typical A Day to Remember album, but I enjoy it. I really do. And this song, you know, the moment I heard it, I, I flashed back to my episode with Dr. Delery about ADHD, and I'm like, shit, that's, uh, this, is, this is my brain right here. So high diving, A Day to Remember coming up. Thank you guys so much for checking us out. We'll see you next week. Take care of each other. Stay safe. One more time from Florida. 10-8. Out. Tries to kick me when I'm down I wrote this to remind myself The next time I'm freaking out If I just take a Is like a map where the X's in quicksand. It's written across your face.